So just before we start, I wanted to remind you, if you've not already done so, to please subscribe, rate and comment on whichever app you're using. It really helps to get the podcast listened to by more people. Hi Dad. Hi Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? (laughs) Well, maybe in my head. The thing is though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. (laughs) Well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine, And I'm Stephen. And we're very excited about our guest today. Our guest is Dr. Janja Lalic. She is the uh, Professor Emerita of Sociology at California State University and a specialist in cults, extremist ideologies, and coercive influence and control. She's the author of many books, and her latest is wonderful, and it's called Escaping Utopia, Growing Up in a Cult, Getting Out, and Starting Over. Dr. Lalich, welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. Oh, well, thanks for having me. I'm really looking forward to it. Thank you. Um, So I'm sure anybody that's interested in the subject of cults or high control groups will know you already but for those who might not have encountered your work maybe you could give us a a brief overview of how you became interested in this subject. Sure Uh, well I myself was in a cult um, in the 70s and 80s and it was a a left-wing political cult and we were going to you know eventually have our revolution but in the meantime we were going to work to Get, a, get rid of racism and sexism and classism and mm. all that wonderful stuff. Yeah. And it all mm. sounded terrific, except that it wasn't. Um, it was <laughs> a very restrictive group, uh, a lot of psychological damage, um, a corrupt leader. So yeah. when I got out, um, I was about 41 years old and was a complete mess. And uh, I moved to New York to... Uh, get away from San Francisco where we were headquartered and got a job and eventually was very lucky to find a therapist who knew about cults. And um, so the the therapy really helped me. I have to say she saved my life. I mean, one of the issues I had was that I was in high leadership. I was in the inner circle. So I did a lot of mean, terrible things and felt a lot of guilt and shame when I got out. So, um, as I was going through my recovery, I thought about going to grad school, um, and I thought about that for about 10 years. <laughs> um, it took a while to really be able to make that decision and make that commitment, um, but I eventually did. Uh, so I think I was 55 or something when I got my PhD, um, and my dissertation, I didn't plan it that way, but my dissertation ended up being uh, a a study of two different cults, the cult I was in and the Heaven's Gate cult, which people may remember committed Mm -hmm. uh, mass suicide in 1997. But even before that, I had written a couple of books. I was doing a lot of public speaking. um, And so I was, you know, going to the cult awareness conferences here in our country. Uh, When I started teaching, um, I... I was my time devoted to this in terms of actually helping people, which I did a lot of before uh, my teaching position um, was limited. So mostly I focused on my research, uh, which is how the book Escaping Utopia came about. Uh, So I, you know, now I'm retired, I'm 76 years old, and I guess I'd say I turned a bad thing into a good thing. And um, I've spent, you know, a good chunk of my life uh, really devoted to, first of all, helping people coming out of cults uh, in their recovery and also trying to educate the general public about 
cults uh, so that mm. people are not so stigmatized. That's very interesting. So uh, to, to what degree did the the higher education and so on, how did that help with your healing process? Was that part of that, do you think, or was that just something else that you wanted to do? Uh, well, you know, it, it was something I wanted to do. I, obviously, I already had my BA when I joined the yeah. group because I was 30. Mm-hmm. Um, I've always had sort of an intellectual bent, you know, reading and studying. Mm. And, and um, you know, when I got out of my cult, no one was even talking about political cults. Um, and mm. so that was one of the things I was interested in really looking at and studying and um, thought about, like, focusing on social movements in general. Um, I would say, yes, definitely it added to my recovery because um, I had to examine a lot of my own thinking and my own biases and um, write a lot of papers and uh, present my thoughts in a clear, concise, scientific way. And so it it really pushed me forward on that for sure. Yeah. So um, I I don't know how much you know about the podcast, but um, I I was raised as a Jehovah's Witness. Oh, okay. Um, So that's, um, I suppose, one of the main themes of, of our podcast is this whole you know, how do you make sense of the world once you once you leave a high control group? Um, and so I, I recognize a lot of what you're talking about. It took me, um, well, I, I left when I was 30 and I was 44 before I started to do my first degree. So um, wow. I'm 55 now and I've just finished my master's. So, you know, I don't think I'm going to get a chance to do my, my um, PhD. Uh, Go for probably, it. Go but... for it. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I always like yeah. to tell people, you know, I didn't start my PhD till I was yeah. 50 or 51. Mm. And so, you know, it doesn't, your age doesn't matter. It's your conviction and your, you know, yeah. your willingness to want to uh, contribute to the field. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty inspirational. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I, I am. Um, it is a big temptation, I have to say. Um, so going back to your, your book, you've got this really interesting um, model called Bounded Choice. Um, would you be able to explain a little bit about that model and some of the features of it, please? Sure, sure. Uh, so the Bounded Choice model uh, came out of my dissertation, basically. Um, it was... Um, you know, I, one of the things I was looking to do was try to help people understand, you know, why people in cults do the things they do that to those yeah. of us on the outside seem completely irrational and ludicrous. Mm. Um, and of course, you know, all these decades, there has been uh, the concept of brainwashing, which has been very, unfortunately, very maligned. Uh, mm-hmm. by these folks we call cult apologists. And so they've, they've done everything to try to banish that and discredit that, that term and that concept, um, which mm-hmm. I absolutely believe in, as I was one of the brainwashers in my group. <laughs> so, uh, um, but I see uh, my bounded choice framework in theory as, as kind of an alternate way of looking at basically the, the, the same process that happens. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, so bounded choice has uh, four traits or characteristics or features. Uh, the first is the uh, charismatic authoritarian leader who is uh, often a narcissist, uh, sometimes a sociopath or psychopath. Um, mm. Secondly, there's what I call the transcendent belief system. And I use the term transcendent in the sense that this belief system offers you the answer to everything, to the past, the present, and the future. So that yeah. it's it's totally yeah. inclusive, um, but it's also exclusive in that if someone doesn't believe in that, well, then they're considered an outsider or a non-person. And sure. part of that belief system is the requirement to go through a self-transformation in order to be eligible to be on this path, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's that self-transformation that 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 is the indoctrination program. Um, right. And then third and fourth, I see uh, what I call interlocking systems of influence and control. And yeah. I think I was the first person who separated out the controls from the. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. Yeah, you know, which, which yeah. I think is really important because the control mm. systems are obvious. You know, it's what can you wear, who can you talk to, how mm. many children should you have or not have, you know, where should you live, mm. et cetera, et cetera. The very obvious yeah. rules of the group. 
but it's the uh, the more the sort of psychological influences or the social influences, the peer influences that are often far more effective mm. and far more likely to not be recognized because it's things we're used to all the time. Um, it's basic social psychology, right? Ways to use mm. guilt and shame and fear and you know all those emotional pulls. Uh, to yeah. uh, get you to conform and comply, uh, so that's it. That's the that's the framework, and um, I I think you know people have found it helpful and and mm. a new way of of looking at this. One of the the, the one liners in your book, which I really like, is um, is cult behavior is human behavior. I think that's um, that's so true, isn't it? And it yes. and it reduces some of that stigma. I think that I know I felt I didn't want to tell anybody and um, so I was a born in which I'd like to talk to you about um, right. a bit later but um, I, even though I was born in I had no choice in the matter I, I still felt quite ashamed I certainly didn't put it on my CV or my LinkedIn <laughs> profile um, so so you kind of end up um, I suppose being quite vague about big chunks of your life and mm-hmm. um, and that's because yeah there is this um, this stigma but as you point out it is it is just leveraging these normal psychological processes that that anybody is um you know could could be affected by i guess exactly um, re- reading um the the bounded choice model as an ex jehovah's witness you know i'm reading this nodding my head madly thinking <laughs> yep 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 you know i recognize so much of that i suppose the only one that um as an ex-Jehovah's Witness and then as a Jehovah's Witness, um, Jehovah's Witnesses would deny that there is a charismatic leader mm. in the group. Um, I mean, I've got my own thoughts about that. What, what do you think about that, um, that counter-argument? There's no charismatic leadership in, in Jehovah's Witnesses. How does that apply? Well, there actually is. It's, it, it's called the governing body. And, mm. and essentially what they operate by is what we call charisma by proxy. So there was right. the original founder of yeah. Russell, Russell. Was his name Russell Tay yeah. or something. Um, Charles Tay's Russell. Charles yeah. Tay's yeah. Russell. There you go. Um, yeah. And and you know so he was the founder, the original mm. charismatic leader who brought the message yeah. to people. Uh, but then what happens as as leaders die if they have set up a good structure of yeah. inheritance, so to speak, then that charismatic authority passes down to whoever is next in power and people may not acknowledge it in the same way but it has those that person or those people have the same power and are regarded with the same kind of uh, you know devotion Uh, so you know as we know with the jehovah's witnesses the governing body is the be all and end all right who's going to deny that absolutely yeah (laughs) that's right And, and i think um I think the other thing is with, with big organizations or, you know, as far as cults go, they're quite big. Yes. Um, Unfortunately. There's lots. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> um, there are, obviously they organize themselves into things like circuits and congregations and so on. And there are individuals within those who are quite charismatic. I remember mm-hmm. growing up looking to people like circuit overseers and so on, who are kind of often very good speakers and they are very good at, uh, yeah, putting things over, they're very smartly dressed and, and so on. So I think, yeah, I think there there comes sort of um, individual leaders within that that probably also um, adopt some of the the glory from from above as well, really. Yeah, yes, it's, and, it's you know, many groups, many large groups um, who, that have people in, you know, around this country or around the world or where, whatever, um, you know, people are, are not going to meet the leader. I mean, even my yeah. group, as small as it was, you know, a few mm-hmm. hundred people at the end, there were people who joined uh, toward the end or in the last several years who, who never saw our leader because yeah. she was living yeah. in another town drunk, yeah. you know, drunk on her ass. And so, you know, it's really the, um, you know, the next level leadership or the lieutenants or whatever we want to call them who convey to everybody that they have to have this, you know, Mm. dying loyalty to this incredibly intelligent, whatever person. And so that's the way that charisma passes down, uh, really, no matter the size of the group. 
Mm, yeah, interesting. So in Escaping Utopia, you um, you, you have the stories of 65 different people mm-hmm. um, from 39 different groups. So this is a fantastic pool, really, for any book, I think. Um, I think two of those were ex-Jehovah's Witnesses, if I'm if I'm right. Mm-hmm. Um, you think, and then, yeah, you've, you've got some featured um, people as well. So you've got someone from the FLDS, uh, Transcendental Meditation, 12 Tribes, Children of God, Exclusive Brethren, and then you've got this martial arts kind of cult as well. Mm-hmm. So these are very disparate, different types of groups, aren't they? Yes. Um, just for anybody listening, how can they all be the same thing or how can they all be lumped into the same um, sort of thing as cults? What's what's the answer well, to that? Well, because what we look at, it, you know, to identify something as a cult you know for me what i look at is is the structure and the behavior right yeah. the the um interpersonal behavior the uh, the power of the leader uh the what kind of uh system was set up if there are no checks and balances uh, which you would have in a healthy group uh, right. so it doesn't really it's it's really not about the belief system you know there are people who think oh cults all cults are just religious you know and that mm. it's this is an attack on religion or whatever but they're but the belief system ha- has nothing to do with it other than it's used to enforce uh that system of control and system of influence mm. so uh, you know it's what people latch on to as uh you know as their path to salvation whether that salvation is religious, political, you know, revolution or losing weight or Mm. earning, you know, Mm. making more money or whatever it might be, being a better actor or actress. Um, Wow. Yeah. So that, I I guess that's, um, yeah, you're talking Nexium there. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to ask you um, sort of the range, but you've, you've kind of answered that. There's so many different types. It doesn't really matter, does it? No. It could be absolutely anything. Yeah. I mean, one of the interesting areas that I noticed was Enron, um which for those uh, who don't know was a um commercial it was an energy company wasn't it yes. um and uh, you 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 look at that a little bit and um talk about how that sort of developed as a as a cult like organization so mm-hmm. can you tell us a little bit about what happened there i don't know um well i, I mean i i don't to tell you the truth i don't remember all the details the the mm. real scholar on enron is dennis turish uh, who who is in England? Um, okay. Uh, he's a, um, I believe he's a business professor uh, or organizational professor, and I forget at which okay. university. But he wrote this excellent article on Enron. Um, so his name is Tourish, T-O-U-R-I-S-H. But there are okay. many uh, cultic or cult businesses, um, mm. and and we are unfortunately seeing more and more of that. Um, part of that is the spread of these, um, what I call these new age training programs or what mm-hmm. we originally called large group awareness trainings, you know, where people mm-hmm. got together in a ballroom and, you know, were yeah. put through all kinds of paces. Um, yeah. And that, at least in our country here, is so widespread, it's unbelievable. I mean, every, everything mm-hmm. from the U.S. government, the army, all the way down to the business on the corner, send their people to these programs. And then those practices sometimes get adopted uh, within the workplace itself. And so mm. there, you know, I say there's probably quite a few companies that have been identified as cults um, here in America. And it, you know, it, it's not quite the same. Uh, there may not be the same kind of, you know, controls that people think of in terms of what you can wear and things like that. And you mm. get to go home mm. at night. But in terms of the behaviors within the workplace and the amount of dedication you're expected to give and the mm. uh, the influence of the leader, who is often kind of a nut job, you know, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, get making their workers get the same tattoos he has. And, you know, there's been all kinds of examples. Uh, so, yeah, they, they, cults are everywhere. I mean, I don't like to th- say there's a cult under every bush, but... There are plenty of them. <laughs> I think it's really interesting. I mean, I, I'm in uh, my secular job, my um, day job that pays the bills is as a management trainer. So, um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I suppose I've been exposed to things like NLP and mm-hmm. um, um, sort of thinking systems that um, I, I can I can really understand how it could easily slip into 
especially if you've got somebody there again who's very charismatic and very admirable and you know they seem to have it all together um yeah i can i can see how that that can that can happen yeah i, I hasten to add i don't do it in my practice <laughs> <laughs> i mean i i worked on a um a legal case once as expert witness mm. of a company who started sending all their people to a program in um new mexico or utah one of those places and the, okay. the people have to go out in the desert and not have their phones and no contact with anyone etc mm-hmm. and they started sending first the bosses then everybody down to the receptionist to answer the phone and then they started sending all their distributors from around the country right. mm-hmm. and if you didn't go you were really kind of shunned and blacklisted and so people felt mm-hmm. that their job was at stake if they didn't go mm-hmm. And they did absolutely insane things at this program. They they did fire walking, right? Walking on hot coals where yes. one guy yeah, actually a had thing. a heart attack. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did um, shouting. They spent these hours long sessions, like just shouting, like the whole thing was about shouting. It's like, you know, but, but what that does is it, it basically shuts down your critical thinking and it gets you, mm-hmm. you know, what we call these high arousal techniques where you can't think straight anymore. Um, yeah. And eventually they brought all these practices back to the company, which was headquartered in Arkansas. And they right. had signs up all over using the language. And if you didn't use the language, you got chastised and you had to get on the ground and act like a cockroach. And I mean, just, you know, horrible things. Um, and finally, one of the owners uh, kept objecting. And so they ousted him. And so he sued. Um, and that's how the lawsuit came about. But yeah, I, I've I've seen remarkable ways that this stuff has been brought into companies. So, what would you say managers and and so on need to look look out for um, uh, to to avoid their organizations slipping into this? Yeah, I think you know I think it's important if you're thinking about hiring a trainer or or mm. some going to some program. I think um, just with anything else, I think it's really important to do your research. Find out who they are, what are their qualifications, what yeah. does the program actually entail. If they say they can't tell you, well, that right there is a, a no-no. If they yeah, want sure. you to sign a waiver, many of these places have you sign a waiver saying if something happens to you, you won't hold them responsible. Mm. Well, that right there should be a red flag. If you have to sign a waiver, it probably means something is going to happen, right? Um, and look for, you know, look for critiques on the Internet. There's a wealth of information yeah. now on the internet of people who've attended these programs. And so you can see if there's, you know, if there's been uh, critical reports. Uh, So I I think it's just really important to, to do your, do your research, do your homework. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Um, uh, Going back to your, your book, Escaping Utopia. I know you've written many other books, but that, that was um, for me, uh, I found that really moving uh, both because of the stories Mm -hmm. uh, that you, that you, tell of of different people but also personally I found it really refreshing because it was about born-ins yes and that's something that I've been a bit frustrated about I suppose reading a lot of literature is there's a lot of assumptions that people get dragged into cults and you know this is how it happens and this is the process but you know for so many of us we had no choice we were born in exactly um and you know how how do you think that's different what are the different sort of psychological processes um for born-ins, do you think? Well, you know, uh, when I did that book, you know, and uh, as you said earlier, I, I interviewed 65 or 67 mm. people, and um, most of those were over the phone. Some were in person. Um, you know, my university didn't have the money to send me all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I would get off the phone sometimes and just fall down on my bed and cry for like an hour. I mean, the stories mm. were so so hard mm-hmm. so heavy um mm-hmm. the amount of sexual abuse for one the amount of physical abuse the mm-hmm. lack of any kind of decent education i mean so many of these groups uh, again at least here in my country hide behind a homeschooling and so homeschooling really just meant you know reading the words of the of the leader um mm-hmm. and there's so little regulation on that and so when people get out, no matter their age, I mean, many, many leave in adolescence, um, manage to get out um, because they're 
there happens to be this thing called teen rebellion. I think that happens whether or not you were brought up in a cult. Um, and that's why, you know, the, for example, the children of God, they had a special program for teens because they recognized that this rebellious phase was coming and they'd send them to these teen training camps that were just wow. hideous. Right. Um, and, and, and the, um, and the fact that they don't go to school, they're sequestered. They're, they're they, you know, as you know from the witnesses, even if you went to a regular school, you didn't have any friends who weren't witnesses. You weren't allowed to. Yeah. Uh, you didn't get to join in the sports and, and the games and the parties and all of that. So the, the isolation is so severe. Yeah. And, I, and I think when people get out, um, the, well, there's several different things. One is if they, if they, you know, sometimes people leave, they don't even know their real name. They, 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 they don't know wow. who they are. They don't know if there's any relatives yeah. on the outside and yeah. there are absolutely no social resources for this population. Yeah. They don't necessarily qualify to go to a domestic violence shelter or something like that. Yeah. So a lot of them end up on the street. They end up selling their bodies. They end up on drugs. They end up couch surfing. Mm. Um, it's really tragic. And I know with the witnesses, um, you know, suicide is, is so prevalent and also mm. among, uh, children of God, uh, former, uh, former mm. children. Um, and that to me is one of the biggest tragedies. Um, it's why mm. I, I wanted to do that book and to bring awareness to this whole issue. Um, but because the, ch the children in these groups don't go through the normal developmental processes yeah. as a quote, kid in the outside world, um, it's almost like they have to go through that again. You know, they have to, mm. no matter their age, they kind of have to go through that, develop mm. those developmental stages and, and mm. figure out who they want to be as an adult. And, mm. um, and of course, there's also a lot of resentment and pain in relation to the parents um, yeah. and how to how to have any kind of relationship with the parents if they're mm. still in the group. And so that's another big issue. I don't know if yeah. that was your case, but um, it's it's it, it's a real social issue that that I don't think there's any society that recognizes. And, and it's truly mm. unfortunate. Yeah, that's that's very interesting. I know, Celine, you, you were, yeah. uh, I'll bring you in here because um, you're interested mm -hmm. in this this area. Yeah, well, um so I, one of the things from listening to your other interviews that I thought about straight away was homeschooling. Um, so that's mm. something that the people that I know, um, pretty much all of them were being homeschooled. Mm. Um, so they went to school for a period of time and then they got pulled out and were homeschooled, um, which I think is interesting in itself. I think makes some sort of statement that they got pulled out. Um, but I mean, what do we... What, what do you think we should be doing as a society to combat that? Because, I mean, obviously there's a difficulty of freedom of, you know, belief and that people can, you know, a lot of people would say, well, we have to let people make those choices. But, I mean, those children aren't choosing. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So how do we, yeah. as, as a society, what do we what yeah. do? we do? Do you have any yeah. thoughts on that? Yeah, it's like the anti-vax movement, same thing. <laughs> I mean, the kids aren't the ones who are mm. saying, don't give me a vaccination. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so you do have homeschooling in England as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh, I, I, um, I think they're meant to be, they're meant to be regulated, but they don't. Right. I, I've never heard of any anyone coming around like we have there Ofsted are, in England, but they are they are checked upon. But I think it's mm. from what I understand, it's fairly, it's a fairly cursory yeah, glance at what's going on, and they don't yeah. have to sit exams either. Mm. So you know how schools are monitored by how well their students are doing right. um in their education like is if a certain amount are passing or not I, regardless of if that's a good example but that's not being done yeah. with homeschooling they don't actually have to sit exams so the people i know right have never sat any exams they have not even the lowest qualification to their name right. at this point and who knows what kind of education the parents had to be able to do mm -hmm. homeschooling. I mean, in the witness, yeah. of course, we know education is frowned upon because, you know, the, the world's going to end tomorrow, you know, right? So why yes. bother, right? Yeah, exactly. um, so, you know, and I think that's true in a lot of groups. And in a lot of groups, it's the children teaching the children, you know, because yeah. they're all just shunted together somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. So I think, you know, I, you know, all, all this freedom of choice, you know, I mean, I, 
it, it's wonderful. I am, you know, I am for democracy. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I, I think that it needs to be more regulated and we need to pressure um, the government, whether it's, I don't know really if it should be on the local level or the regional level or the, the state mm-hmm. level, but um, the, you know, there needs to be, I, I don't know, I think we need to say, okay, if you're going to homeschool your kid, see if you can pass this exam first, right? And, and make sure they're yeah. qualified. Um, mm-hmm. Just like you wouldn't let someone teach your kid swimming who didn't know how to swim, you know? So I think we need mm-hmm. to band together and um, and start mm-hmm. a movement to really mm-hmm. make homeschooling a more viable uh, mm-hmm. process so that mm-hmm. kids are getting some some decent education although i i think no matter what cults are going to get away with it uh, they always do uh, they find ways around it um i'm sorry to mm-hmm. say that but it's true um yeah uh, yeah i guess we have such a sensitivity um in democracies to protect people's um belief or freedom of belief right. but and that's what the cults exploit isn't it they exactly. they just use that yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that's um, why, you know, that's why here anyway, a lot of cults mm. become religions so they can yes. hide behind the First Amendment. And, you know, they're mm. not religious in the least, but it's mm. very easy to become a religion in America. I think, you know, you fill out some paper and you say you have two followers. I mean, I was going to use my dog and two cats and see if it worked. <laughs> you know? I mean, and, and, and that's a shame because, that you know, yeah. as mm. we know, at least here, hiding behind the first amendment and, you know, not having to pay taxes and all the different benefits. Yeah. And um, it's difficult, you know, the courts don't want to deal with religion. And so it, mm-hmm. it it's just, it ends up being criminal. Yeah. It's done differently in the UK and that yeah. JWs are called a charity, aren't they? So they, they still don't pay like, yeah. Um, well, they're a religion and a charity. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, they, they get, they get away mm-hmm. with it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it is um, one of those things. It does, it does, uh, yeah, it does worry me that there's a whole generation of kids that it seems a lot of them are being pulled out now. I don't know statistically, but it does yeah. seem like all the young ones I know were are being you, pulled out. Uh, were you born in the Jehovah Witnesses, Celine? No. So um, my so I've been to meetings a few times with uh, other relatives, but um basically we spoke a little bit before that I was um sort of on the way and um dad was already having doubts um you know for a long time it takes a while doesn't it yes, having a lifetime of belief to to leave so you'd been having doubts for a long time mm-hmm. and um then having to teach me something and knowing that it's a it's a choice moment where you, you either he would either have to teach me the stuff that he'd been taught and was questioning mm-hmm. and make that choice or or you know decide to to fade and um mm. you know not raise me in the same way and, and, I'm very and what about your mom so yeah mom left a bit later didn't she she didn't um come out as fast um i've noticed a lot from my perspective as someone on the outside um looking in obviously you know have more knowledge than someone completely on the outside but um it seems that there's a lot of when we talk to stories mum and dad are a good example of some dad used to really really believe it didn't you the witness Mm. stuff and mum was more you know doing it for her family and you know she she said to us before it was less about really believing that jehovah god was watching her and more about her family and things like that but like said different ways of control but Mm. um so she was second generation or third generation uh second i do believe because yeah yeah, second and i'm third third. yeah wow yeah her mum was recruited at a door Mm -hmm. so she she was recruited and then um Mm. mum was born in at that point but yeah so you you both were of different belief systems but you both sort of came out around the same time eventually didn't you it just took a bit of time yeah i think what what we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast is individual differences and how you know that does make a difference um yes for me i was totally hot log and sinker i was you know mm. i was in it and um I, I was you know you said about how teenagers are rebellious and so on i i wasn't i was a goody two shoes i <laughs> i was um a perfect jehovah's witness you know i was pioneering 
ministerial servant at 20 and um, taking a group, taking um, what we call the theocratic ministry school. And I was on the fast track to eldership, you know, so uh, that was, but I I did have the doubts, um, which bothered me a lot. But yeah, Sarah didn't really have that um, same, I'm sure she had difficulties in her in different ways, but but for me, it was that battle with my faith. But I did mm. leave first, and then then Sarah um, sort of left after yeah. after that. Because I think I do have vague memories of going a little bit, but never um, mm. never truly believing it. I remember kind of wanting, uh, being a child, sort of being like, oh, I. I I wish we were still going because um, then I'd have all these friends that I see sometimes when I go to go to the meetings. But I obviously I'm really glad that, that isn't what was happening. <laughs> right. But as a child, you see it in a very different exactly. different way because exactly. um, you see this community and you think, oh, that's right. nice, and all right. these people that everyone's you know this big community of people all care about you, and it, it's all rose coloured, isn't it? Until right. yeah, well, you look at it afterwards. Uh... There's someone in Escaping Utopia who talks about that. When her parents left, she was really angry because she was losing mm. all her friends and mm. kids, the other kids she played with, and that was her community. And so mm. that, you know, that's a very common... Uh, yeah. And, and, and it's it stood um, on purpose, isn't it? By mm-hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses um, isolate you. So, yes. of course, you know, oh, you don't you have know. another group of friends to go to. Exactly. <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting, Stephen, what you said about mm. doubts, because I'm a firm believer that everyone has doubts. I mm. mean, I was a true believer, but I still had doubts, you know, and, yeah. and, and yeah. there are these things that you just, you know, as I say, you kind of store in the back of your head and back of your mind, and then someday there's just one thing too many and it pops mm. and, and, and then you realize, Oh, something's not right here. And then you have to, yeah. then you think, Oh, I guess I should get out. And then you of course have to make a plan to get out. It's not, it's not always yes. that easy to just, Oh yeah, I'm mm. out. Bye-bye. <laughs> it doesn't work like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah. Really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so was it like a constellation of things that happened to you or was it like one thing that kind of broke the, or the, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back? What, what was well, was you know, um, my group actually imploded and we all got out, but, but okay. I was already at the point I had, there were two things that were, that affected me. One is because I was in high leadership and I was in the inner circle, I had to spend a lot of weekends and holidays with the leader. Um, a number of us would be, would have to drive up to her house in, in yep. Bodega Bay, which is a town north of here. And um, and spend weekends with her where we would have to sit around on the floor while she drank and we'd have to drink along with her and it was hard alcohol and you had to keep up with her and you had to sing songs and you had to make up verses and if she didn't like your verse she slapped you and she threatened oh. the men to go upstairs and have sex with her and you know these were horrible horrible traumatic uh, mm. weekends and holidays and at some point I realized I couldn't do that anymore and even though I blamed myself, I was like, I don't love her the way everyone else does. But I started mm. making excuses to not go to those weekends. I'd say, oh, my back is out uh, or whatever. Right? Mm, so that was mm. one thing that started me. Um, and I think as I kind of removed myself from those inner circle meetings, I started seeing things a little differently. And then the the biggest thing was the what happened with my mother, which is a long story. But when my mother died, you know, I was told I couldn't go to the funeral. And I, w- I remember holding the phone, you know, my leadership was on the other end of the line. And, and I thought to myself, mm. here I am killing myself, working like 20 yeah. hour days, seven days a week, month mm. after month, year after year to build a better world. And if mm. this is the better world where I'm told I can't go to my mother's funeral, yeah, uh, yeah. something's fucked here. Pardon my French. Yeah. And yeah. so then I was miserable i wanted to get out i couldn't figure out how to get out i had no money i had nowhere to go i had no friends on the outside both my parents were dead um and i basically every day i'd get in my car and i would wish i would be killed in a car accident because it was the only way i could see to get out um and it was pure misery for for another four and a half five years i lived like that just like a living nervous breakdown until finally you know, the, the incident happened where the leader was out of the country and 
we got everyone together and told them what was really going on. And we took a vote yeah. and expelled her and dissolved the organization. So then, you know, here were 120 some people falling apart, <laughs> but we at least all had wow. each other and helped each other mm. with jobs and references and things. Wow. That's so, quite unusual though, isn't it? Very unusual. I'd like to talk a little bit about self if I could, because that's an area that I'm really interested in. Um, so for my master's, I did a, a master's in organizational psychology. Yeah, and uh, for my dissertation, I interviewed some ex-Jehovah's Witnesses um, to identify whether career and education might help them to kind of make sense of their self. So help create a story about who they were. Um, and I, I find that really interesting. You, you talk about self in your in the book. Um and I think it's, um, I like the way you describe it because you talk about that the self is actually a social construction, mm-hmm. um, which is obviously based around your experiences and your social life and everything. Um, and and that's um, that's how, how this sense of self kind of comes. One of the things I've felt when I've been reading lots of other books is, again, thinking about how lots of these books talk about you know people who are dragged into cults they talk about you know your authentic self and then this cult self that sits on top of that and then you're trying to to find your authentic self again and that just means nothing to me because as a born in you know I I don't have this thing that I can go back to so I was really interested in the way you describe that could you talk a little bit about that because I think that was really interesting yeah, I mean, I think, you know, who, who we are or ourself is mm. um, uh, formed by our environment and the people around us and, and the things we experience and our education mm. and whatever. Um, and so for adults who join a cult, you know, you, ha- you have, in most cases, you have a sense of self. Um, it's yeah. going to be, you know, depending on your age, it's going to be more fully formed or not. You know, that's why, you know, w- people who get recruited at 18, 19, 20, that, that's still a problem because mm. your, your brain isn't fully formed until you're 25. So those are very, mm. very fundamental years. Um, so, but, but what I see this, um, pre- this process of indoctrination to me um, is really what I call a, it's a re-socialization, right? It's socializing you to become the self that the cult wants you to be, right? So mm. you, if you're not born in, if you're someone who joined at some other time, the, what they have to do is attack that self and take apart okay. that self and get you to doubt mm. that self and, and in mm. a sense, get rid of that self and take on this, you know, this new cult mm-hmm. person um who's conforming and complying and you know becoming the goody two-shoes within the cult right like yes. you were right <laughs> <laughs> um and so when you get out you have to figure out who you want to be again now for someone born in it, it's it's there isn't the you know i had the luxury when i got out of finding old friends you know, mm. looking them up, asking them, you know, who was I before I joined the cult? You know, what what are the yeah. things we did? Because yeah. I had forgotten mm. so much, right? Mm. Or I had some, you know, family members, aunts and uncles, you know, who I could visit and mm. say, you know, tell me about myself. And but I still had to f- had to figure out what I wanted to believe in. And for me, it was it was more around political theory rather than you know whether I still believed in God or not. But I had to, you mm. know, I didn't want to become a right wing nut because I had been a left-wing nut, right? So I had to figure out, you know, so I spent a lot of time reading about, you know, communism and socialism and what Mm. worked or didn't work in those countries, et cetera, Mm. et cetera. But uh, for people born in, I think it's it's really difficult because you don't have anything to grab onto. And I Mm. think that's why the social services are so important. And that's why Mm. having therapists and counselors and people who understand this phenomena, which is one of the Mm. things... I'm hoping to start doing toward the end of the summer is training therapists uh, with oh, two wow. colleagues. Yeah. Because it, it, there's such a lack of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Mm. So the, the, um, the challenge for those born in like yourself is really figuring out everything. I mean, everything mm. is new. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, I love that story. One of the stories in the book about the, the woman who went to the grocery store and just saw all the different kinds of cereal and who loved jam and just bought every kind of jam imaginable because she never had jam before, you know, it's like, you know, so those are funny little things, but there's also huge yeah. things that have to be figured yeah. out mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. so that we become the, the self we want to be. And that takes time. Yeah. I think it's interesting because there's a passage that um, obviously I, dad's told me about where it's like, strip off the old self and become you know and it, it's interesting that they're very they're very adamant that they're not a cult but they are doing all of the things that are in the literature and it's out there for everyone to see do yeah. you know what I mean so yes. it's quite funny yeah. um because when dad read that bit out to me I was just like it's right there and they're not even trying to hide yeah. it but it's just because you're so in it it, yes, it doesn't you don't see it. it you don't see yeah. it and yeah. And I, you know, and I'd say the thing about the witnesses is that, um, I mean, I think it's changing a little bit, but I think most of, most of society thinks, you know, they're these sweet little old ladies who come knock on your door now and then with a Bible in their hand and try to talk to you. And, um, or they're standing on a street corner, handing out leaflets, poor things, you know, like, just like the Salvation Army guy ringing his bell. Yeah. And and people don't see it as um, as a dangerous or, or evil organization, but in fact it is. And I mm -hmm. think that um, the the uh, uh, criminal cases that have been brought up around the child sexual mm. I mean the child sexual mm. abuse is just horrific and rampant. And I think yeah. because some of those cases, you know, have been written up in newspapers or discussed on various documentaries like the one uh, that I did with A&E um, yes. that I think people are becoming, you know, the population I think is becoming a little more aware of, of yeah. who the Jehovah witnesses really are. And I think they, yeah. they've been able to hide behind that cute little shield for a long time. Yeah. I mean, the, the trouble is, is the rank and file are generally, um, they are like that, you know, they are nice. And um, of course they're the victims of exactly. this, um, this group it's it's really the leadership that um that are the problem um and that's the heartbreaking thing isn't it um yes. that, that yeah uh, another um you talked about that that case um but there was another one that it's funny because there's a lot of harrowing stories in in the book but um there was one uh from a young woman who'd been a member of the family cult and and although obviously she'd endured some horrible things that the thing that really got me was um when she uh, went to do a little job uh, she worked in a store i think a grocery store and um, there were some kids about her age mm, and all right. messing about and joking around and sort of a bit of banter and she she just couldn't understand how young people or anybody else could have thoughts of their own and yeah. she said to well, did you think of that yourself? You know, and they all thought she was being sarcastic, but, and that kind of got to me. I thought, imagine, um, cause I never experienced that. Imagine not believing you could have your own thoughts. Right. Right. That's just staggering, isn't it? Yes. Yes. How, how do you recover from that? I mean, how do you help somebody from well, that? You know, I think, you know, I, I'm a strong believer in what, what we call psychoeducation. Um, and, and so that's um, readings, some of the good literature about cults. Um, mm. And I, and what I do is um, I, I'm into writing, obviously I've written what six books or something. <laughs> I want, you know, since I was a kid, I kept a journal, all of that, but, yeah. um, but I have found that various writing exercises are really helpful. So often okay. I have people um, either uh, take my bounded choice model or take Lifton's eight themes. Mm -hmm. If people are familiar yeah. with Robert Lifton's work mm -hmm. and sort of outline how their group uh, enacted each one of those. And so that they can yeah. like, see it, like see it on paper mm. and see the enormity mm. of it. Uh, because there's always so much guilt. I think even for kids who leave, 
you know, it's like, mm. uh, you know, it's difficult. You're, you're probably leaving your family and your friends and mm. you're not sure you're really doing the right thing. And you think, oh, my God, what yeah. if they were right? You know, all of that. Mm. So I think seeing mm. the enormity of the of the uh, systematic influence on you uh, really helps. Mm. Um, and and I think you just have to take it apart little by little. And and mm. you have to not pressure yourself. Um, you have to not compare yourself to someone else like, Oh, Jimmy's so much further ahead than I am. No, you know, we each have our own path Mm -hmm. and, um, finding a good support group can be really helpful. Um, Mm -hmm. I've just started a new, uh, series called the recovery learning series where it's primarily education. Uh, but it's also, there's also time for people to uh, participate and share, Um, and so we're, we're going to continue with those after my surgery, um, and they're on zoom. And so people can be from anywhere. Um, but I think, you know, I, I think really what it takes is hopefully having a good support system, at least a couple of people Mm. who can Mm. really help, you know, be there to Mm. hold you Mm. when you're crying or help you calm down from a panic attack. Um, Mm. be that what I call the safe haven. Um, mm. and, and it's tough. I mean, there's no mm. ways around it. I mean, even when I got mm. out, I mean, and I had 30 years before the cult, but when I got out, I was a bloody mess. I could barely cross mm. the street on my own. <laughs> I didn't know how to open up a bank. account. I was like a 16 year old, 40 year old, mm. right? I didn't know how to mm. date. I didn't know what that meant. I was, you know, so, but my, my experience is nothing like someone who that's their, that was their whole world. I mean, mm. it's, it's huge, mm. really huge. Yeah. And whatever we can do to help is what we need to do. I mean, I think these podcasts have been really helpful. There's so many mm. of them. I never knew there was I so know. many podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> I know. It's, some it's, of the, a busy, uh, it's a busy place. Yeah. Some of the latest um, documentaries uh, and film mm. coverage have been pretty good and not just sensational. Um, yes. I mean, that's been helpful for people on I don't know. Maybe one day we'll actually have social resources for people. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you about the future, really. You know, what do you think? Um, uh, we we were asked the other day. You know, what is the future of cults? Do you think they'll always be here, or will we get rid of them? Uh, I, I'm going to ask you that question. What do you think? <laughs> oh, I don't think we'll ever get rid of them. I mean, there there's no. a, there there will always be narcissists. There, I mean, there will always be people who want to take advantage of other people and prey on their vulnerabilities. Um, You know, there's always going to be power hungry, money hungry, sex hungry maniacs uh, who somehow have the chutzpah, whatever we want to call it, that they come up with some idea and are able to convince, you know, they only need to start with one person, you know, and Mm. to become a follower and it goes from there. Mm. Um, No, I think they'll always be around. And I think what we're seeing now with uh, QAnon and some of this conspiracy theory Mm. stuff, it's really, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, you know, it's a bit daunting. It's quite different from what we've had before. You know, we're seeing it on a national scale. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you about that actually. Um, there's there is a lot of concern at the moment about these um, these groups, yeah. um, and even politics is, um, you know, there's, uh, yeah. I mean, I suppose there's a risk, or what do you think? Is there a risk that if we if we expand the net too wide, um, then everything kind of becomes a cult, and right. and then it's everybody shouting, "No, yours is a cult!" You know, mm. "No, yours is a cult," <laughs> right. and that's kind of where we're getting to at the moment. And I'm a bit worried that we're going to lose um, the really clarity is. about you yes. know. Yeah, I no, I I understand that. I have that fear a little bit. Um, mm. I I do think the the QAnon stuff, um, some of the others is 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 cult-like behavior Mm. for sure. Mm. Uh, It's not, it's not your standard cult. um, Mm. But then again, nothing standard anymore. I mean, social media is so huge in our lives uh, to now see what might be called social media cults. You know, I guess we can expect that. On the Mm. other hand, we do, I think we do have to be careful to not just lump everything together. You know, so that we've got these, you know, here anyway, we've got these white supremacist groups, racist Mm. groups, 
some of them might be cults, um, but mm -hmm. mostly they're just hateful systems. You know, they're hateful yes. organizations and they need yeah. to be clamped down on. I don't care about civil rights. I mean, they need to be, <laughs> yeah. they need to become fringe again, uh, which they were mm. before we had that, that former president, um, <laughs> whose name I refuse to say. Um, but you know, yes. that, that's mm. what's really gotten out of control in our country, um, uh, is the acting out of, of the hate mongers and the racists. Um, so yeah, cults will always be there. And I think all we can do is try to educate and try yeah. to get people to slow down and not join something right away and take your time mm -hmm. and try mm -hmm. to find ways to help the children who are born in these groups, um, who are, who are yeah. double victims in a sense. Um, well, you're, you're doing lots of work, um, to help that. Um, so, you know, I think we all appreciate that. I'll, I'll certainly, um, if you let us have any kind of links to to the stuff that you're doing, we'll put those on the show notes. And we'll, uh, I'm quite active on Twitter, so we'll certainly um, let people know about that. I know it is an area that um, ex Jehovah's Witnesses are are concerned about. It seems like there's a a bit of an exodus at the moment. It's always difficult to know because right. obviously when you're looking at it, you don't know if it's just because you're looking for it, but. Um, it seems like there is a lot of people coming out and um, yeah, I, I know for myself, you know, I, I, it was a long time ago. It was sort of 20 odd years ago, but I had no support. There was right. no, um, I, I've had never had any counseling. I've never had any help. I was literally on my own. Um, and it took me over a decade, I would say to, uh, yes. I, I mean, I functioned in the world, but to just, um, you know, to just, just get my head in the right place. Yeah, I understand. That's absolutely typical. I mean, mm. that's why I'm glad. I mean, Escaping Utopia has always been on audio, well, for the last year or so. And then my other book, Take Back Your Life, I just, uh, somebody donated the money to me to get that put on audio. Oh, lovely. Uh, because I, I know it's hard sometimes for people to read when they get out of a cult. It's hard to concentrate. So mm. having both those books on audio, I hope, will really help a lot of people. Um, mm. And there's there are a lot of resources on my website um i yeah. do want to mention because we haven't talked about it is i don't know if you've seen mm. the article i wrote about gay jehovah witnesses mm. about the attitude toward homosexuality mm. in the jw yeah it's something we've talked about as well yeah, yeah. That, yeah. that's i'm really tell us, tell us about that then yeah so i did mm. a study of um i i you know years ago i forget when it even was i got invited to a conference of an organization mm. called common bond which i knew nothing about but it was gay ex jehovah witnesses and it was in mm, San yeah. Francisco, of course. <laughs> and, um, you know, they invited me to be the keynote speaker. And it was the most amazing experience for me. I mean, it was a beautiful conference. It was a whole weekend. And on the last day, this was what was so incredible. On the last day, they had a sort of a service and they had candles up front and had kind of a little altar and photos. And anybody who had somebody who died... Uh, you know, could stand up and go up and light a candle or something. Mm. Well, almost every single person in the room had somebody who nine times out of 10 had committed suicide. And these yeah. stories were just gut-wrenching. Um, mm. And so that that was when I first really learned about that. And then um, while I was teaching, I, I did that study and um, with a colleague, uh, Carla McLaren, um, and we got it published in the Journal of Homosexuality. It's on my website. Um, okay. but the, um, you know, as we talk about it is the stigma, uh, sort of a dual edged stigma, the stigma Absolutely. being in, and then the stigma when they come out and, um, mm. just the, the devastation for so many people of mm. how the witnesses basically instruct you to deal with that, um, is, is horrendous. Mm. I mean, you're probably familiar with it, but, um, it, it is something I think is really important to talk about. It's part of why there are so many suicides. Yeah. I think you're right. I mean, obviously um, our listeners might not be aware of that. Um, so yes, Jehovah's Witnesses don't, um, essentially they, they acknowledge that people might have gay feelings um, or attraction to the same sex, but you simply must deny that you must and, deny um, it yes you know there mm -hmm. is no yeah. uh, no exception it's a gross sin mm -hmm. and they're encouraged they call it and they're encouraged mm -hmm. to get married and then they they're in these yeah. fake exactly. marriages yeah 
Yeah, they call it like you know, just don't practice whatever that means, you know. And um, well, it's, it's just... not even just don't practice; it's don't think about it. Yes. Yeah, repress it to the yeah. nth degree. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. um, I've been a f- uh, found a group as well recently that came up on the Instagram. That's uh, they're called Agape Support. Um, and they're in Australia doing mm-hmm. and providing support for uh, ex gang witnesses. And um, it's you know. Uh, he was talking about his story and saying yeah he was married to somebody because he was told that that's what he should do when he confided you know you know i think i'm gay and they're like okay well just quick you know yeah get married just put that away yeah Yeah. just chop your heart out yeah yeah Mm -hmm. you know just like upon another level of of just repressing yourself again isn't it Mm mm-hmm Absolutely. And then, of course, children may come along, which yeah. makes it even more difficult. Um, eventually, you know, you can't hide that forever, can you? You can't suppress that forever. So at some point, right. it's going to, you know, the marriage is going to break up and, and so on. Mm. And then you've got children as well who are trying to make sense of, of what's happened. It's, yeah, yeah it's it's heartbreaking. Really. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So um, we'll definitely link that in the show. Yeah, notes. definitely. We'll put... Mm-hmm. Obviously, your website's a host of lots of yes. really interesting information, yes. useful stuff. Obviously, we'll put a link on there um, on our show notes to that and your books and so on. Um, and if there's anything else that you want us to let people know about how to get support, then that's, you know, obviously something we want to do. It's okay. uh, very important to us. Yeah. Well, then all, all that remains for me to say is how much I've really enjoyed talking mm-hmm. to you today. And um you know, you, you've obviously spent a long time, a, a very important career, doing a lot of good work, and um, you're still doing it at 70, <laughs> uh, what did you say, 76. 74? 76. 76. Yes. Um, so, yeah, we um, yeah we really appreciate all that work, and thank you very much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank um, you very much. Dr. Lalich. Yeah, I'm so glad we thank met. You. Thanks a lot. Thank, thank you. you. What Should I Think About is an Evil Sheep production.